Well, good morning, everyone. So, being brought into a new family can very much be a beautiful thing. You know, this is something that happens through adoption or when someone is married into a second family. As some of you may know, I've been thinking about what it means to welcome someone new into the family as we prepare to welcome our first son-in-law into the Gardner clan this September. Now, while being brought into a new family, while it can be a beautiful thing, individuals who have been brought into a new family will sometimes tell you it isn't always easy. Questions surface of, do I really belong in this family? Will this new family love and accept me with all my flaws and failures? Might they abandon me? Do I need to earn their love? In addition to questions of identity, being brought into a family can create an opportunity where certain values might be confronted. For example, many of you know the Gardner family loves to camp. Or most of us in the family do. If one of my children were to marry someone who primarily loved to vacation at fancy restaurants, doing shopping excursions, and staying in fancy hotels, being brought into our family might be a challenge. What they value as a vacation would likely be confronted. Now, I want to say, if my future son-in-law or daughter-in-law is listening to this sermon sometime in the future, I want you to know we still love you and we accept you. In the Gospel of John, before Jesus departs, he tells his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. Themes of being adopted into God's family are often mentioned throughout the pages of Scripture. Jesus is not about the business of leaving his disciples isolated and alone, living as orphans and outcasts. He's about bringing his disciples into a new family, his family where there are brothers and sisters in Christ. However, an individual being brought into the family of God will have certain values confronted, such as our our desire to be self-governing, our desire to be self-sufficient, or our desire to be self-reliant. These are values of Western culture that collide with values of the Christian faith. Further, like many orphans, Many of us have learned to be independent and autonomous. A person being adopted into the Christian family as part of that family will be challenged to live differently. So good morning, everyone. My, my name is Paul, and I serve as one of the pastors here at First City Church. This summer, we're taking time to better understand something called the Apostles' Creed. If you're not familiar with it, it's a basic summary of the Christian faith. Last week, as we continued the series, we explored what it means to profess, I believe in the Holy Spirit. This week, we're moving forward to consider what it means to say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. Some of you have questions about what that means. Are we Catholic? Yes. Do, you, do we believe in Roman Catholic saints? No. But we do believe in saints. Now, before I get you all too excited, I promise we're going to look to Scripture this morning as we consider what it means to affirm faith 
in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. In using the language Holy Catholic Church, the creed is expressing how the Holy Spirit creates a new community that unites Christians across the globe and throughout time, regardless of a number of differences that often divide. The language of communion of saints expresses how God's family ministers to one another in smaller contexts, often thought of as local churches. So our big idea this morning is your new family is one united house divided into fellowships of a few. Now before we explore this big idea, I want to preface a couple of things. First, using the creed and using Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to argue as Christians, we are to live in a way that we preserve unity in the church as we encounter differences and challenges and conflict. I want to acknowledge many have been hurt by the church. Many have been hurt by family members. It's hard for you to trust others. If that's your story, I'm sorry. We would love to help in any way as you work towards healing and wholeness. Further, sometimes churches drift in to doctrinal error, and sometimes the culture of a church is toxic. Arguing to preserve unity is a good thing, but it is not an absolute thing. Situations will require us to separate from a church, but rather than self-protect, rather than remain isolated, God's word would lead us to return to the church, to experience the benefits of what it means to be part of God's family. So I recognize in going there, this is not a simple matter. Second, I want you to consider this morning or reconsider how do you engage with others in community? In, in general, how do you engage with others? But particularly, how do you engage with others in the church? How do you engage with brothers and sisters in Christ? There are a number of ways we've been formed to engage with one another that we need to be aware of or awaken to. For example, social media is one way people have been formed to engage others. They present themselves as a particular type of person rather than being present with others or being known by others. It's more about an image you create of having it all together, of having the fun, of being fulfilled. On social media, when encountering differences rather than dialogue, we tend to declare. Neither of these forms us well for what it means to engage one another biblically in community. Others of us, as we think about how we engage others, we have been formed to be consumeristic. We primarily think about what we get and gain from others. What do they have to give us? That's not living in community with others. That's treating others as though you're at a, at a store or, the, or, or a mall. Still others of us have developed a posture of self-protection. Alluding to what I said, we do not trust others. So rather than engage, we tend to withdraw and pull back and shy away from 
relationship. This actually describes me. As much as I talk about the beauty of being in community, I mean, my official title, after all, is the pastor of care in community, I struggle with it. I often want to withdraw. I want to isolate. Those who get close to me know that when I'm physically present in a room, I'm often preoccupied, somewhat disengaged, and somewhat guarded. How does the way you engage in community need to be reformed? As you consider what it means to be part of the Holy Catholic Church and communion of saints, what opportunities do you have to grow? To help us understand what the Creed is saying about being part of the Holy Catholic Church and communion of saints, I want to draw upon some lessons from the passage read earlier, Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open it up there. Here's how the Apostle Paul begins in verses 1 through 3. Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So in chapters 1 through 3, what preceded this text, the Apostle Paul is helping Christians understand who they are as God's people. And in the beginning of chapter 4, he turns a corner. He gets into what it means for how we live. He's saying, because the church is so remarkable, because you're part of such an amazing new family, because you've been given this awesome life in Christ, it has implications for how we live. And then so, live with humility, gentleness, with patience, and bearing with one another in love to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Why would Paul need to instruct the church to preserve unity? Well, because the church is diverse. The unified house is not a homogenous house. In the case of the Ephesians, it is made up of Jews and Gentiles, people from religious and irreligious backgrounds. There were probably different political views present in the church. There were people who were rich and poor. Just like in the church today, people within that community were prone to overemphasize individual differences in a way that could cause division. To emphasize the importance of preserving unity, Paul points to a truth about how God's people are united. This new family, this one house. Here's verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. So, so Paul is using the image of a body to describe the unity of the church. And he repeats that word one, one, seven times. The church is not multiple bodies, one body. There is a way we have been united to God and to one another in the spirit that creates a thick bond. This body is not held together by some shallow commitment of let's all just get along or let's all tolerate one another. This body is united in worship of the Lord. This body is united in baptism. 
which is a reference to new birth. As Paul references how this community is united, he mentions all three members of the Trinity. God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Spirit. Now many see the church as a people who are united because we share particular values or particular voting patterns or particular cultural or socioeconomic demographics. The Apostle Paul, in describing how the church is one body, affirms the church is united in spite of those things. The church is unified The church is unified as one body because we all bleed the blood of Christ. They have all been united in the Spirit. While differences exist, everyone in the church is part of one body, baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When we profess, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we are affirming what Paul is describing here. That word Catholic because of the way it is frequently used, it might be controversial to some of you. Because we associate Catholic with the Roman Catholic Church. But that Greek word, katholikos, it simply means universal. All Christians, people who trust in Christ from different locations and different times and different cultures, are part of the Holy Catholic Church. That includes us. So this family of faith, this one body, this unified house, it is far more diverse than many of us often see or many of us often understand. This is true in our day, and it has been true of God's people as they have existed throughout time. Listen to the words of Psalm 87. The city he founded is on the holy mountains. The Lord loves Zion's Zion's city gates more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said about you, city of God. I will make it a record of those who know me. Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush, each one was born there. And it will be said of Zion, this one and that one were born in her. The Most High himself will establish The psalmist is describing the people of God, this family of faith, as a city called Zion. It is a city God has gathered together. As the psalmist names people who are part of this city, if you're familiar with some of the names mentioned, you know that for people to come from some of these places, for the Israelites singing this song, it's a bit of a shock. Rahab is a reference to Egypt. Egypt was a people who enslaved the Israelites. The Philistines were the Israelites' arch enemies. Babylon oppressed the people of Israel. Tyre and Cush were constantly a source of friction. Each one was born there is a statement of surprise because those people were often recognized as enemies and godless and wicked. They were known for significant sin, sacrificing children and worshiping false gods. The psalmist is saying, the community God brings together transcends what normally separates us, even what sometimes makes us enemies. 
The psalmist says, this one and that one were born in her. Their defining characteristic is not their country of origin or their past sin, but experiencing a new birth by their God. When we profess, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we are affirming the church is diverse. A people born in different lands, born at different times, who have struggled with a variety of sin, yet united into one house by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are rejecting a mentality and mindset common in culture that seeks to divide over individual issues that often separate us into tribes. Here is Ben Myers in his book, The Apostles' Creed. The church is Catholic because it is a microcosm of a universal human society. The waters of baptism, in the waters of baptism, all the old social divisions are made irrelevant. The church includes every kind of person, rich and poor, male and female, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. Whatever defined a person before is relativized by the new defining mark of membership in the company of Jesus' followers. One of the marks of gospel communities or small groups at First City Church is we long for them in a small way to be an expression of the Holy Catholic Church. We gather in geographical regions, and we want those regions to be representative of the different types of people who live there. We don't want our gospel communities to be restricted to people who are the same as us, the same age, the same status of having kids or not having kids. We want gospel communities filled with people who come from different backgrounds, who may think differently about all sorts of things. We do not want homogenous communities. But connecting with individuals who are different than us, it can be uncomfortable. Pursuing and preserving the unity of the Catholic Church will push us beyond what is comfortable into what may be challenging. Us Protestants, we are kind of good about dividing into tribes. This is one of the critiques the Roman Catholic Church offers. One Roman Catholic Church. Protestants, depending on how you count, have over 17,000 different denominations. We divide over differing views on the role of the Spirit, differing views on how God saves, divergent views of male-female roles in the church, differing views on creation, differing views on how a church should be run. When there is relational conflict in a church or in a small group, rather than preserve unity, we tend to disconnect and disassociate. As you consider what it means to be part of the Holy Catholic Church, what opportunities do you have to grow at how you engage others? As we encounter differences with other Christians, the Apostle Paul encourages us to exercise humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Does this describe you? Or as you encounter differences with other Christians that could potentially divide, are you known for other characteristics? Withdrawing, pulling away, not listening to others, 
being harsh and stubborn, being sharp with criticism. Preserving unity is not easy. Please know, I'm not saying unity means we are one because we agree on everything. Unity means we are one when we disagree. Paul says we don't preserve unity because we are clones or duplicates or facsimiles. We preserve unity because we are united in the Spirit. In Christ, we all bleed the same blood. Disagreement does not mean division. Recognizing differences does not mean we become disjointed. Acknowledging disagreement and differences can reinforce unity. The blood of Christ creates thicker bonds than any of the issues that tend to separate us. Your new family is one unified, huge house. So if a healthy church doesn't divide because of individual differences, there is a reason a healthy church will divide, for purposes connected to discipleship. Let's turn to how this one unified house is divided into fellowships of a few. In verses 11 through 17, Paul turns his attention from the one unified church to talk about the ministry of Christians within a church how the people within minister to one another. I'm going to jump forward to verse 17. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So Paul has been describing how the ministry within a church helps the church grow from being less mature to being more mature. Each church is broken. Each church has deficits. Every church needs to grow. This is true because every person who is part of a church is broken. Every person who is part of a church has deficits. God has designed the church for it to be a place of healing, a place where we grow into maturity, a place where we grow from being less mature to being more mature. Every person needs the church to help them heal. This means if you're a Christian, you need the church. But it also means as part of the body, if you are in Christ, part of the Holy Catholic Church, you are someone who helps the body build itself up. It's not just that you need the church. The church needs you. As part of the church, you are someone who brings healing to the body. Every person in the church needs to be about the business of using their gifts and their words and their actions to help others heal and mature. As Christians, we cannot promote the growth of others, let alone experience healing ourselves if we are disconnected. Paul is rejecting the idea that individual Christians can live independent of the body embracing isolationism. He is rejecting a Jesus and me Christianity and affirming Christians need to live in fellowship with one another or in communion with other Christians. You can't belong to the one unified house, the Holy Catholic Church, without being part of the fellowship of a few. Now, when I use the language of a fellowship of a few, I'm not prescribing particular size dynamics for a church, okay, or your small group. Uh, I'm simply saying that Christians need to be engaged in something called the one another's of the New Testament. 
If you're not familiar with the one another's, there are 59 different commands or instructions in the Bible for how God's people are to live in relation to one another. Things like pray for one another, love one another, honor one another, suffer with one another. You cannot obey those teachings by participating in the life of a church through a live stream or listening to sermons or podcasts or simply showing up and attending on Sunday mornings. You must get into smaller contexts where you are knowing others and you are being known. This is why your new family is one unified house divided into fellowships of a few. You live in fellowships of a few to experience and live out the one another's. When we profess, I believe in the communion of the saints, we are affirming part of living out the Christian faith is living in community with other Christians. I reject isolationism. I reject individualism and autonomy and self-reliance. I need other Christians to help me grow. And I need to be helping other Christians to help them grow. In verse 12, Paul brings up this word, saint. Part of the process of a church growing in maturity involves people who have been gifted to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So that word saint is a term that is used some 60 times in the New Testament. And each time, it indicates everyday Christians, not super-Christians. The Greek word for saints, hagios, literally means holy ones or someone who is holy. This is not a testament about the perfect character of Christians. In Ephesians 4, we see saints, they have room to grow. Using the word saint is a statement of who they have been declared to be. In Christ, we have been made holy. The fact that we are holy has nothing to do with what we have done. In our brokenness, in our immaturity, we are declared to be saints. A communion of saints therefore exalts the holy one or the one who makes us holy, not the ones declared to be holy. Such an understanding kills an attitude of consumerism and it helps shape how we relate to one another. So one of my favorite TV Christmas specials is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, okay? It's an old, it's old, but it is a classic. This is a place where toys that are not good enough to be given to a home by Santa find refuge. They are too broken and too flawed. If you know some of the lyrics, there's a train that can't roll down the track, a boomerang that won't come back, a rattle without a noise on the island of misfit toys. I sometimes like to think of the church as an island of misfit toys. <laughs> and in some ways, it is. We are a broken people. We are a people who have fallen short. We are a people who are very aware of our faults and our flaws. I feel like a misfit. But the church is not entirely like the island of misfit toys. Because what binds the church together is not our sin 
for our faults and failures. What binds the church together is the blood of Christ that paid for our sin. We are not identified by being a misfit. We are identified by how we have been redeemed and how we are being made holy. A communion of saints is not simply a gathering of sinners who know they are sinful and broken. That's a support group. A communion of saints is a people who have been made holy, who are growing from brokenness into maturity. So perhaps a better image of the church that has been proposed historically is one of a hospital where people who are wounded and broken go to experience healing and wholeness. While people at a hospital are united in in the reality that they are all sick, they don't want to stay sick. They desire to be restored. They desire to be healed. That is what unites them. This is more like people who are part of a church. But this image, too, it falls short. In a hospital... Every patient needs a team of healthcare providers. I said that because I know that in this room there are many amazing nurses and therapists, so I would not just say that every patient needs a doctor. <clears throat> in the same way that every patient needs a team of healthcare providers, every healthcare team needs patients to serve. At the hospital, there is this difference between a patient and a healthcare provider. The church is different because every patient is a healthcare provider that helps others heal. And every healthcare provider is a patient because they are broken in their own way. They need to be healed by others. A communion of saints is not just a communion of sinners. Every sinner is also made to be an instrument of the Spirit to help others heal heal. As you consider what it means to be part of the communion of saints, what opportunities do you have to grow as you engage others? Because we are saints declared to be a community of saints, because we are growing into that identity, it will shape the orientation of the culture of a church. People will talk about sin, but they will also talk about how they are not stagnant, how they are, how they are repenting of sin. In Ray Ortland's book, The Gospel, as he talks about an ideal church culture, he says, the goal is not to make the church safe for sin. It's to make it safe for confession and repentance. Just like people who receive care from a hospital don't make the case that they want to stay sick, People who are part of a church do not want to to continue to sin. They want to grow out of the ways they are immature. Because we are individuals who are affected by the fall, who have chosen to worship different lords, our understanding of truth is often distorted. Our understanding of the Bible can be wrong. We need to invite other Christians in to offer challenge and conviction to help us grow and to help us heal? Do you relate to others as though you need others to grow? I was talking to someone recently about this, what it means to be committed to a church community. 
Oftentimes when we think about what it means to be committed to a, to a church community, we think about what we give in, in terms of time and talent and money. And, and, and we talked about that a little bit, but, but then it moved to want to think beyond that. What it means to be committed to a church also means that I am open and honest about areas where I struggle, areas where I need to grow, areas that, that I am struggling with sin and shame and suffering. And I remember this person's response. Oh, you really think that, don't you? I'm so thankful for people in this church who have taught me much about what it means to believe in a communion of saints, who reach out and share, I need to confess sin. Or I'm struggling with parenting. I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm struggling to withdraw from others. I'm wrestling with anger. This is what marks a communion of saints. A communion of saints is not a community that informs but it is a community that invites. This community is vulnerable. This community pursues righteousness and holiness and transformation. And so as a member of that community, I invite others in to help me grow. I do not remain isolated. What opportunities do you have to invite others in? In addition to rejecting isolation in personal struggles, as part of a communion of saints, I also reject isolation when others are struggling. I do not think, oh, you know, those people over there, they struggle with drunkenness. Oh, those people over there, they struggle with anger. Oh, those people are experiencing marital conflict. Oh, those people are experiencing that. That's not my business. I have no part to play. In professing, I believe in the communion of saints, you recognize that it's not just you who needs the church. The church needs you. Others need your presence. Others need your counsel. Others need your prayers. Others need your support. Listen to Pastor Paul Tripp. Most of the time we are oblivious to this. We are too easily captivated by our self-centered little worlds. But Ephesians 4 propels us beyond a life consumed by personal happiness and achievement. Your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It is bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively shaping them into his likeness, and he wants you to be a part of it. As you consider what it means to be part of the communion of saints, what opportunities do you have to engage others? See, individualism can play out in more than one way. I can isolate myself from others as I experience sin and shame and other struggles. I don't need others. I'll do me. But it can also play out in you do you, where I do not enter into the lives of others. When we profess, I believe in the communion of saints, it challenges both forms of individualism. 
Too much of the time, we are too centered on self. We lack concern and are indifferent to the needs of others. God has designed the church to be a place where we experience redemption, where we grow to reflect more of who Christ is. We need the church to help us do that. And in Christ, the church needs us to help achieve such a goal, to bring healing to others. Last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. This morning, we're reflecting how the Spirit brings life by bringing us into a new family, how the Spirit creates a new community called the church. Apart from being brought into this family, our relationships were fractured and broken with others. In this community, we are united as one. And we experience healing and wholeness. Our relationships with one another have been restored and are being restored. May we be willing to enter into such a community. Let's pray.